You're listening to the North Canton Chapel podcast. Thank you for joining us today. The North Canton Chapel exists to make much of Jesus every day to everyone. It's our prayer that this podcast will equip you to do just that. We believe that there's nothing like the church united together in gospel community. We'd love if you'd stop in and say hello in person if you're in our neighborhood. Our gathering times are at 9 and 10.30 a.m. Thank you again for joining us today. Let's listen in. Well, if you've been around NCC for any length of time, you heard us talk about mission a lot. And missions really is about extending the gospel locally, nationally, and globally. Here at NCC, we have some really great missions partnerships. And a few months back, we made a plan to have one of those missions partners, Dr. Richard Lewis, here uh, with us live and in person on a Sunday morning. But unfortunately, this week has not been ideal, so we're online only. But this morning, I know you'll be blessed. And we have the privilege and the honor to hear from Dr. Richard Lewis. Hi, uh, my name is Richard Lewis, and uh, I'm delighted to be with you this uh, Sunday, even though it's uh, remote. And uh, But uh, you all have been supporting Sandy and I now for, I don't know, 10, 15 years, and uh, we really appreciate it. Now, this is a picture of Sandy and I, and uh, I uh, have my own company called Lewis Cross Cultural Training, and uh, it's um, an organization that I started so I could train nationals. And, um, this is what we looked like 100 years ago when we first started in 1976. And when I show this picture, people say, man, you've gotten old. And I say, well, yeah, it'll happen to you too one of these days. And uh, so, but uh, this is the way we were back uh, a long time ago. And we work with two different tribes called the Turkan and the Pokot. I was involved in uh, pioneer church planning and the planning churches among uh, the unreached people groups of uh, Northwest Kenya. And uh, so uh, we came off the field uh, 1990. And uh, since then, I have been working as a facilitator and, and a trainer of missionaries. And uh, the Lord's really blessed our work. And, and uh, we've been in a little over 50 countries uh, teaching and training missionaries, mostly nationals, uh, not so much North Americans, but uh, national missionaries and pastors. So. I'm delighted to, to be with you, and I just am um, grateful for this church and praying for Sandy and I. Sandy right now is in Senegal, West Africa, with uh, our youngest daughter who's serving there. And uh, so I'm just delighted that uh, I can be here this week and be with the missions committee. Well, let's uh, go into God's Word, and today I want to... Uh, uh, speak to you from Matthew chapter 5, verse uh, 13 through 16. And uh, the title of my message is Punching Holes in the Dark. So let's read uh, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 13 uh, to 15 together. Uh, this is what the Bible says. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. 
Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and gives it light to all those in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. There's a story that goes uh, about um, a lamplighter back in the early days when there was no electricity. And uh, the story goes that there was a little boy that was uh, looking outside the window just about the time that it was getting dark. And uh, his mom said, uh, what are you looking at outside the window? And uh, he was looking at this lamplighter. And uh, he said, look, mom, uh, that guy is punching holes in the dark. Well, that goes along with our scripture. The Bible says that we are the light of the world. And um, in many ways, uh, when you support missionaries and when you serve here in your community, you're doing the very same thing. You're punching holes in the dark that other people might hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to begin telling you uh, about a uh, my message with a story of someone that is punching holes in the dark. And it happens to be my, my son-in-law and my daughter and uh, my grandkids. And uh, this slide is a picture of uh, them. Uh, they live in Senegal. And Senegal is the most western part of Africa. It's a very hot, desolate, uh, desert uh, area. And uh, they've lived there now for a little over uh, 12 years. And uh, I, uh, you can see that they live in actually an area that is made up of squatters. Uh, in Senegal, they have kind of an unusual way of uh, doing their banking system. Uh, they don't usually go to a bank. And so uh, the way they protect their money is they buy a piece of land and they will start building a building, but they'll probably never finish it. Many of them will not finish their property, but it is their investment. And so uh, somewhere down the line, they may sell the property, they may sell the building, uh, but rather than have a bank account, uh, they just have uh, these um, uh, unfinished buildings. And that's where my kids live. They live in an area where they're mostly squatters. Now, uh, right across the road, I'm going to say probably not more than 100 feet uh, from uh, their front gate, uh, is uh, a group of guys that are what we call horse guys. Uh, the Senegalese have, have a horse culture, and uh, they use these horse and uh, buggies or platforms, whatever you want to call them. They call them chariots. They don't look much like chariots to me, but... Uh, uh, they have uh, a horse culture and they carry uh, people on these carts, they carry goods, and uh, so that's how many of them make a living. Well, right across the uh, road uh, where my kids live uh, are these horse guys. And uh, one of the guys is named Musa. And uh, Musa is a Muslim. Most uh, of the Senegalese people are Muslim. And uh, so uh, they uh, have uh, their neighbors is, uh, in the squatting area is uh, a bunch of guys that have these horses. Well, I had the opportunity to go to visit my kids a couple of years ago and 
uh, Aaron, uh, my son-in-law, and, uh, had been invited by Musa to come to his village, and so I did. And we spent about uh, two days out in the village, and uh, it was the, the time of Ramadan when the Muslims weren't eating, but uh, they were very gracious to uh, feed us. But uh, we had a good time. I enjoyed it very much. But uh, when we first got to Musa's village, uh, he uh, asked me a question. And it was probably within an hour after we got to his village. And uh, he, uh, he said to me, he said, Kippah, which is, I think, a roughly translated old man. And uh, he said, Kippah, I have a question for you. And I said, okay, what is it? He said, what makes Aaron so different? He said, you know, I've met a lot of uh, white people uh, in Senegal. And, and, uh, but he said, there's something really different about uh, Aaron. And not only Aaron, but his wife and the kids, because they're always so gracious. They're always so uh, kind. Every time they come outside uh, their gate, they always spend time greeting uh, us and talking to us. And he's just different. And I just wanted to ask the question, what makes, what makes Aaron so different? than anybody else that I've ever met. Well, I was stunned and I was, uh, of course, all of this is done by translation. And I was stunned by the question. And I'd only been there an hour and here I had an opportunity to talk to him about uh, maybe, what, maybe what made Aaron different. And I said, well, there's two reasons. I said, number one, Aaron grew up in Senegal. And so he loves the country, he loves the people. And uh, so uh, he's not a foreigner. Uh, in many ways, uh, he's part of the Senegalese culture. But I said more than anything else, uh, Aaron is a follower of Isa, uh, which is Arabic for Jesus. And uh, I said uh, Aaron has um, uh, been a follower of Isa, and because of the love that is in the heart of Aaron, uh, because Isa loves Aaron and Aaron loves uh, Jesus, uh, I said, uh, that's the reason that makes him so different. And I said, the fact of the matter is, Jesus loves Senegal ever much as uh, Aaron uh, loves you. Well, it gave me an opportunity to talk about what does it mean to uh, punch holes in the dark. So the fact of the matter is, <clears throat> Whether it's my son-in-law in Senegal, or when I teach in India, or Kenya, or wherever, or you here in um, Canton, Ohio, our responsibility is to uh, do the very same thing, is to punch holes in the dark, letting our light shine that we are followers of Jesus Christ. And maybe by our love for uh, our neighbors and our friends, by showing our good works, as the scripture says, they will be able to see the love of Christ. Well, I did a little research on uh, North Canton, and uh, you know, I realized I could have gone much deeper into it, but I, I learned a lot about your city. Uh, I learned that your population is about 17,000, 18,000, and 89% uh, uh, of the population is white, 3% uh, black, 2% Hispanic, and 2% Asian. 95% uh, of uh, Canton speaks um, English, and 1.5% um, speak Chinese, and 1% speak Spanish. 
There are 30 churches in uh, this uh, North Canton area, approximately one church for every 600 people. You know, I'm a missionary and I go to places where the gospel has never been preached. So when I look at this, I say, well, North Canton is hardly the most unreached par uh, area of the world. But there's still a lot of darkness uh, in Canton, in, in northern Ohio. So you are the light of the community, and your task is the same as that of uh, any missionary that goes overseas, and that is to punch holes in the dark so that others might be able to see Jesus Christ. Uh, I have learned down through the years that uh, the world is made up primarily of tribal people. Now, we don't like to think about that we are tribals, but uh, uh, whether you're talking about the Uzbeks that live uh, in Uzbekistan or the Mursi people that in, are in southern Ethiopia, it does seem we like we kind of group together uh, as, uh, as tribes or clans or sub-clans divided by class and uh, sometimes by our education or our ethnicity. And so we all have a responsibility to look and say, all right, who is it that maybe uh, is not being reached with the gospel? And how might we uh, be able to uh, uh, go out and reach them with the gospel of Christ? But of course, your responsibility is not just to Northern Ohio. And uh, part of the reason uh, the leadership asked me to come is to talk to you about your mission program, your worldwide outreach. Being light in, in a dark world is not just confined to our community, but it's to the um, people throughout the world. And, uh, you know, uh, missions is uh, what uh, Hudson Taylor called the Great Commission. It's, that is not an option uh, to be considered, but it is a command to be obeyed. And I'm sure you've heard before that the Great Commission, where the Lord Jesus said to go into all the world and preach the gospel and baptize them and disciple them. Um, it's called the Great Commission. It's not called the Great Suggestion. And uh, therefore, we have a responsibility, both you and I, uh, to take that message of Jesus Christ to all the world. So the chapel, your church, can and should be a light on the hill, taking uh, the gospel through its worldwide outreach and missions. But you know, one of the things that I often talk to churches about and missionaries is let's be as strategic as possible when it comes to uh, our mission outreach. To, be, to truly be light of the church, we must be much more strategic, uh, more resources to those that uh, have no gospel rather than those that have the gospel. And, I have here on the slide kind of a picture of uh, where there are people that have the gospel, have opportunity to hear the gospel, and then those that have never yet heard. Uh, statistics say that uh, full-time Christian workers in the world are about 5.5 million. 5.5 million Christian workers in the world, and nearly 75% of them that are serving Christ in, as a Christian worker, whether a pastor or youth leader or teachers, 75% of uh, missionaries are working in areas where they already have the gospel, uh, where, the, where the gospel has already been reached. Uh, 
So I like to challenge uh, people to focus on frontier missions. Uh, statistically, again, I realize statistics can be a bit boring, but they can also be helpful. Uh, all missionaries throughout the world, whether you're talking about Catholics or Protestants, the total population of missionaries throughout the world is only about 400,000. Missionaries to the reached world is uh, nearly 78%. And again, when I say the reached world, it's places like America, places down uh, in uh, many parts of Latin America, in Sub-Sahara Africa. 77% uh, of all missionaries go to places where the message of Christ has already been preached. About 19% of the missionary force goes to places where they have access, uh, people have access to the gospel, but they've never been reached and there's no one going to them. And missionaries that are going to the most unreached areas of the world are 3.3%. So when I talk to missions committees, like I'm going to be talking to the uh, group here in North Canton, or whether I'm talking to missionaries that I train, I, uh, I give them the challenge. Uh, just don't go to the mission field, but think about those areas where many people have never heard of the message of Christ. Sending people where there is no light, where they are still in darkness. 1.7 billion people in this world are less than 0.1% Christian. One per 1,000 people. And many people do not even have one Christian in their people group. I just came back from West Africa just two weeks ago. And uh, the total Christian population in that Muslim country uh, is less than 1.19%. Uh, and there are villages and cities and areas where uh, there are no missionaries, there are no churches, there are uh, no Christian workers of any kind. Uh, and the Christian community is very, very small. And um, so my challenge is always challenging to me uh, is that we send people, begin to think about where can we send missionaries that do not have the light of the gospel of Christ like we do and many other places the world do. Well, um, one of the more difficult things that missionaries have to talk about is money because uh, it takes money and resources uh, to take the gospel uh, anywhere. I wish I didn't have to talk about it. Uh, but uh, when I talk to missionaries uh, that are wanting to go to the field, I ask them, I say, what is the most challenging thing is it uh, for you uh, to be a missionary? And they said, raising support. It's, it's, really, it's really a challenge. Um, when I was a Bible college, in Bible college uh, 100 years ago, um, I had a professor uh, by the name of Noel Smith. And uh, he used to say, uh, he, he had a lot of really interesting sayings, but one of his sayings was, you cannot eat a God bless you. And I thought to myself when I was a student, I thought, what in, what in the world does that mean? You can't eat a God bless you. And then I became a pastor down in Del Rio, Texas. It was a church we started. We only had about 20, 30 people. And... Uh, it was, uh, we had some pretty lean times down there, and uh, the church did their best, but uh, 
again, it was a small church and uh, I would often talk to my, my congregation and, and say, you know, Sandy and I are delighted to be here, but you know, we're really struggling and, and uh, financially and it's, it's, it's pretty tough. And every once in a while, there would be a member of the church that would say, well, you know, Brother Lewis, uh, you know, we know it's tough and, and we're sorry and, and, and we're praying for you and, and, and God bless you. And uh, those words of Noel Smith came back ringing in my ears. You can't eat a God bless you. And the fact of the matter is we can pray for our missionaries and we can say, God bless you as you go out the door. But the truth of the matter is, unless uh, churches like your church uh, are part of the, the giving process, then they'll never be able to go. I often say that the, the church worldwide, and when I talk about the church worldwide, I'm not just talking about North American churches. I work with Indians, and I work with Africans, and I work with uh, people in Nepal. And, and I tell them, I ask them, how much do you give to missions? And uh, they often say, well, you know, we're too poor, we don't have the resources, or our budget doesn't allow it. And I often think that it's probably, that's probably true, I'm not negating that, but there's also this whole idea of do we really think about our resources and how we use our resources? I'm going to give you some more statistics. Uh, pastoral ministries of the local church, uh, how Christians give, uh, how Christians give and how it is used. Um, nearly 97% of all money that is given to Christian ministry, Christian ministries stays in the local church. Again, I'm not talking about necessarily your church. Uh, maybe your budget is a little bit different, but as I go throughout uh, the uh, country and around the world, I realized that at least 97% of uh, all Christian giving that comes into the church stays and remains within that local church. In some places, it's even higher. When I talk to my African friends and my Indian friends, I would suggest that probably 100%. They don't have a lot of money, and I understand that. But the Great Commission is not just for North Americans. The Great Commission is for uh, even the poorest of countries. If you have a congregation, if there's a, a group of people that are meeting, uh, then they also have a responsibility to the Great Commission. So 97% stays within the local community, statistically, worldwide. About 2.9% of uh, money that comes into the church goes to home missions. Going to the unevangelized is 0.3%. Uh, and uh, money that goes towards the most unreached people groups of the world is 0.001%. Well, this is Halloween time. So I can safely say that uh, statistically, Americans will spend more money buying Halloween costumes for their pets than the amount given to reach the unreached. So my challenge is uh, to you uh, corporately as well as individually. How do we give uh, when it comes to uh, missions and our outreach? Uh, I'm glad that you have uh, a missions program, and I'm glad that uh, you support missionaries throughout the world, and I think it's a great testimony. But uh, my challenge would be to you. 
What about you? How much do you give, not just to the corporate body, but how much are you involved in giving to missions? And uh, it's a challenge for, for all of us. Well, uh, what's, what's this to you? What's this to me? Uh, how does this message relate to, to where you live as uh, a person goes to the office or you're a student or you're working uh, outside, work for the city? What is this to you? Well, uh, at least in two ways, maybe more than that. One is to just start punching holes in the dark where you live, where you work. Uh, the story that I told about Aaron, uh, he didn't wasn't giving the gospel to them every time that uh, he walked out the door, but he was just uh, a good guy and a good neighbor. And, and uh, as well as my daughter and my grandkids. And so just be a light wherever you are every day. And uh, may they be able to say and tell that there's something really different about you because of the way you live and the way that you interact with uh, other people. You can let your light shine by just being a testimony, a good testimony for Christ each day. And then the other thing would be to learn as much as you possibly can about uh, missions. There's a wonderful app that you can get on your smartphone. It's called the Joshua uh, Project uh, .net. And uh, you can read about uh, an unreached people group every day. And uh, I have it on my phone and I, I look at it and I re read about those that have never heard of the gospel of Christ. It gives me an opportunity to think about it, to pray about it, and to pray that uh, God and his sovereignty would lead people to take the, the gospel to them. So um, if you don't know about your missions uh, program here at uh, the chapel, if uh, you don't know the names of the people that you support and uh, you don't have a, a prayer time uh, with them or about them, then I would suggest you do that. And I think that would be a great way to start. Uh, go beyond just uh, having a God bless you. Uh, set your priorities and what you give and how you give. And then the last thing is just take up the, the challenge of giving your life to frontier missionaries. I don't know, I have no idea who I'm talking to or who's watching this, but uh, there's a great need still for young men and young women to go into the world and take the gospel to those that have never heard. And uh, so my challenge to you is that uh, you might step up and say, you know, I believe God could use me to do that. Uh, but one more thing before I close. I have a picture of uh, a young boy uh, in the mosque praying with his dad. Uh, also to the other side is another picture of a, a little girl that's by her mom as she's in a Buddhist temple praying to her ancestors. And um, I've often said that, you know, most people in the world, they, they worship a cultural God. Uh, if they're in India, they are, are mostly Hindus. It's because they are serving a cultural God. And uh, if they're in Thailand, uh, they're probably Buddhist and uh, they're cultural Buddhists. They're not 
They're not Buddhist by a great conviction of faith, but they're cultural Buddhist. And the reality is I might be talking to some people who are, you also serve a cultural God. You've always grown up in the church, either as a Catholic or as a Protestant, and you, uh, you would identify uh, yourself as a Christian. But my challenge would be to you, it's, are you really a follower of Jesus Christ? Or are you like the Muslims and the Buddhists? Are you just serving a cultural God? My challenge would be to you is that, uh, that you wouldn't be, that you would learn that uh, more of that Jesus Christ loves you and he died for you and that you would accept him as your savior and not just be a cultural, uh, not serve just as a cultural God. Well, the very last thing then is that uh, I challenge you to, you to go out and punch holes in the dark. Uh, you have an opportunity uh, where you work, where you live, uh, to uh, make a difference. So like the lamplighter who uh, climbed up the ladder and lit the lantern and punched holes in the dark, uh, my challenge would be to you that uh, you would uh, punch holes in the dark today and in the days ahead. Again, thank you and God bless. Thank you for listening to this episode of the North Canton Chapel Podcast. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, please share this episode with your friends or spread the word on social media. If you subscribe and leave a five-star review, it goes a long way to helping us make much of Jesus every day to everyone who hears these podcast episodes. You can also donate to this ministry at ncchapel.com forward slash give. Thanks again for joining us. May you go out into your places and spaces, making much of Jesus every day to everyone.